2021. And we come to sit in meditation and contemplate the Satcha Dhamma, the truth that the Buddha sought out and met with. And so he found this Dhamma, and that is what allowed him to become the fully awakened Buddha. And uh, he found, or he was the highest, the noblest, uh, the best of all humans. And so he had this wish to find peace and freedom from all fetters. And we see that there are many ways that people seek things out in the world, such as um, seeking out medicines to cure illnesses. And um, if we don't get these medicines, then these illnesses can cause a lot of damage, as we can see around us. We see that in the space of a hundred years, it's normal for there to be some kind of pandemic that arises in the world. And this time, the pandemic that we're experiencing now, there are a lot of people who are dying from it. And so, if we find a medicine that can cure this illness, um, then there will be a form of happiness that we gain in our lives that we're able to escape from this particular disease and live for longer. But we should take the time to think and contemplate that this is just a temporary escape from death, and there isn't any kind of medicine that is able to cure death, to free us from death. The Buddha, however, he sought out this path that would take people away from that, that would prevent them from being born and from dying again. Uh, But initially, not all people can get to know this or be inspired by this path. Sometimes there are the parents of a child who has faith to ordain, or faith in the Buddha-sasana, and they ask their child why. Explain that this is the highest path, this path to practice, this opportunity that we have to practice the Dhamma is a very great opportunity. And um, and so some people they do get this knowledge and they get this feeling of truth uh, that that if we don't find a way out of the cycle of samsara. If we don't free ourselves in this life, then we have to be born again and then die all over again. But it's also normal for parents to wish for their children to to prosper in terms of the world, to pass on their inheritance to their children, for them to get knowledge in the various academic subjects of the world, so that their children can be happy in this world. Uh, But those who see the danger in samsara Um, see that there isn't just happiness that's here, and that those things, they don't bring true happiness to us. And what does bring true happiness is the Dhamma, so we need to try and reach that Dhamma, to have mindfulness, to have wisdom, to have knowledge here in the present moment. 
So sometimes we see the suffering arises here in the present moment when the internal sense media, uh, sense organs contact the external sense media, such as the eye seeing a form. And so when this happens, a sense of self arises with it. Me and mine comes up uh, in response to this impression. Or perhaps there's an impression, an emotion or a thought that arises in the mind. And there are also these sensations which have arisen in the past as well, that we have received um, previously in our lives. Maybe we had happy experiences, maybe there were upsetting experiences. But we remember what we went through as a child, what that was like. And if it was painful, then this pain can be buried very deep within the heart. And so these memories come up and there are thoughts about the past in this way. And this can bring up great fear in the heart or feelings of love, feelings of hate. And due to that, a sense of self arises in the present moment. And so the Buddha encouraged us to stay here in this present moment because the past has arisen, it stayed for a bit and it ceased already and the things in the future will arise and cease. And everything that's going on in the present moment is arising and ceasing right here and now. And if we have wisdom, we'll see that arising and ceasing here in the present moment. And we'll contemplate um, to see how the self and this form of me and mine comes up in the present moment. And we can ask ourselves, well, what about this past? Is it real? Is there really a me or a mind there in the past? And we'll see that there isn't and there wasn't. It's just the four elements that did exist. And then there's this knowing element of the mind, which becomes deluded towards the things that it experiences. Becomes deluded, giving rise to love and hate, giving rise to a sense of self which then goes and attaches to these things, taking them as me and mine. So it takes the past as being me, the future as being me, and this present moment as being me. And uh, when it's like this, this becomes the cause for suffering to arise constantly. So we need to firmly apply our minds and train these minds, following this path that the Buddha found the path that can take us to really solving all of the suffering that we experience. So we should take a look and ask ourselves, why is it that we suffer? Do we want to suffer or we don't? And how is it that the mind suffers? How does this come up? You see separation from all the things that we love and that we like, and this causes us suffering. But the Buddha taught us that all of us need to meet with this separation, that this is something that's normal for us. We have a mother and a father, we have brothers and sisters, we have children, we have friends. And sometimes we need to meet with separation from those people. And this causes pain in the mind. And that's because we don't know truth, we don't know reality.
So sometimes monks, they can teach in this way, but it doesn't go very deeply into our minds. So what we need to do is we need to try and cultivate and develop these minds so that they grow in power and energy. And the things that we don't know, the ways in which we aren't wise, um, that uh, those are the things in which we are deluded. And this delusion has been with us for many, many lives now. Or we can put it another way and say that this delusion is arising here in the present moment. And it's been with us ever since we were born. We have a me and a mine, but we don't know these things. And so we should teach ourselves to see this truth of suffering, this noble truth of suffering. And when we see that, then the desire to find a way out of that suffering will arise. And so the Buddha, he laid down the principles of this religion. And the savakas, the awakened beings after him, um, they took up these principles and practiced and passed them down to this present moment, such as the training in samadhi, in developing the mind. And this is something we should do a lot. We should cultivate this a lot to really bring up a lot of mindfulness here in the present moment. And we need to do that in order to make our samadhi firm and well-established. This is something that we need to put effort into, don't we? And all of us, we have faith in this path of practice. But in having that faith, we really need to practice as well, so that we can meet with peace here in the present moment. Sometimes we put effort in, but that doesn't lead to stillness. It doesn't lead to peace. So we really need to try and apply ourselves in a way that does bring that peace about, that does allow the mind to settle into stillness and come here into the present moment. And even though it's something that can be quite difficult to do, to bring up this peace and to look after it, to maintain it, um, but it's something that we do need to try, try and reduce the amount of thinking that's going on in our minds, to come and look at the breath, or to contemplate this body as being a heap of earth, water, fire and air, and try not to think about other things. Try to really look after these minds so that they come into a place of stillness. In the beginning, we can recollect the virtues of the Buddha and think about him. Think about his immense compassion that he had, that was boundless. It was so vast that we couldn't find an end to it. And his purity, his wisdom. And it really wasn't easy for him to give rise to this wisdom. He needed to develop it in each and every existence, each and every birth that he took in order to cultivate it to the point where it is the wisdom of a Buddha, which is the highest kind of wisdom. The knowledge that he needed to gain uh, was very high, very deep. And so it took many lives. He had to be born and he had to die many, many times. And he did this for the sake of others, so that other beings could be freed from suffering. So we see here is his immense compassion that he had to all beings. And we know for ourselves that if we do something for the sake of others, to help out others, what that is like. 
And so the Buddha and all bodhisattvas, they work to free other beings from suffering. And this is something that really isn't easy at all. So for us, we need to try and bring up this will to train our minds and recollect the Buddha as the object of our minds in this way. And this can be an easy way to bring up peace, to bring up joy and rapture internally. And we can look at the breath and watch it as it comes and goes. We sit in meditation and the mind comes into peace. Then sometimes we feel as though our hands disappear or our feet disappear or half our body or the whole body goes. We can feel like we're just sitting there in midair. And this is what happens when samadhi arises. There's great ease within the heart, a lot of joy, a lot of rapture that comes up. And this is the, the happiness that comes due to peace of mind. So this is peace of mind. It's um, the mind becoming settled, but it's not the peace that arises from freedom, from kilesas. All that's happening is that our thoughts are settling down and not being so frantic. But it's not that the kilesas have been uh, settled permanently. It's just that we're bringing up our meditation object and applying the mind, putting the mind onto that. So when we reach this peace, we can come then and contemplate and ask ourselves, what things do we attach to? And we see that we cling to physicality and mentality. We're deluded about these things. The mind is lost in these things. And so this knowing element is the mind. But we see that our knowing elements and other beings' knowing elements are no different. We give rise to the sense of self and other, but it's just a knowing element. And when the mind is peaceful, then we can contemplate in a manner that allows us to see that, to see that really there's no me, there's no mind, there's no self, there's no other. And this is seeing into anatta, into not-self. The mind becomes very peace, it grows joyful, very bright and radiant. There's a lot of happiness that arises at this point. And we see the Dhamma clearly here. And the faith that we have gets better, gets firmer. So in the beginning we need to bring up this quality of self-sacrifice, to be ones who sacrifice. Um, and we are those who give up the energy that we have, the energy of our bodies, the energy of our speech, the energy of our minds, the energy of our wealth. And we give this up for the benefit of others. And this merit, it can really fill up the heart, the merit that's produced from this. And the mind gets raised up to the level of a deva here. And we come and pay homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And we carry on practicing in this way. So when we reach the Dhamma, then all of our doubts will be relieved. And the practice gets a little bit easier. In the beginning, however, we have to bring up a lot of patience, a lot of endurance. Because this mind has been used to proliferating for a very long time now that it's always been full of doubts, it's always been very unsettled. There's been a lot of anger, a lot of greed, hatred and delusion in the mind. And when it experiences one of these kinds of emotions, then it proliferates upon those. 
or it sees something as being beautiful and it proliferates upon that and really bites into that, really believes it. And it's deluded in this way because when we look at something, we just see its external appearance. When the eye sees a form, it just sees uh, what's on the surface. We just see the hair of the head, the hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, the skin. And we take these to be beautiful, that we're deluded in this way. And so our preceptor gave us the five meditation objects on our ordination. And we should really apply ourselves to contemplating these, to relieve the lust in our minds so that we can see these things clearly. And eventually we'll steadily grow in our understanding of these things. That this beauty arises because of the proliferation of the mind. But when we gain knowledge, then the mind will come into peace. And we'll see that these things really aren't beautiful, and in doing so, the mind becomes beautiful. Great joy and happiness arises at this point. It can be uh, really full, the experience of that. And so in the end, the mind will reach a place of stillness. It will settle into samadhi. We'll have this stillness there, this collectedness. And we'll be able to see emptiness, see into the nature of change, the nature of stress and not self, within all forms of physicality and mentality. And this knowledge arises very clearly. Or we can start off with this contemplation using our wisdom to see physicality and mentality as being unstable. That all of the feelings, all of the things, the emotions that arise within the heart, we teach ourselves that these things, they don't last, these things are unstable. If we like something, it's not sure. If we hate something, it's not sure. We teach ourselves in this way so that the mind can reach a state of ease and peace. And if it can do that, then we don't need to really explain these things a lot to our minds. And that's how Lumpur Cha taught. But when I listened to this teaching, I myself couldn't really do that. My mind wouldn't believe it. So I had to really explain in a lot of detail for a very long time about these things. I needed to explain to myself that all beings must die, all beings must grow old, must go through sickness. But eventually, what it really takes is just touching one's left hand with one's right hand and seeing the bones there. One's able to tell oneself that these, these things, they're just elements. They're unstable, they're not me. And the mind can believe it. And so when the mind has wisdom, the practice gets much easier. You can really see that there isn't a me or a mind within these things, within anything in the world. There's no being, there's no self, there's no other. It's just a collection of the elements of earth, water, fire and air. These things that this knowing element comes and depends upon. And we rely upon the things of this world and the heat that we receive from the sun. That's what allows us to live the food, the weather in this world. And the, the body is able to survive due to these things, due to the elements that it gets from the world. And the air that it breathes in, the oxygen that it takes in, 
But these things are all unsure. They're all unstable. So we should work to see that there isn't really a me or a mine within any of these things, that all of it is empty. But the mind lacking in knowledge is deluded by these things and will go and attach to them, and this causes us a lot of chaos. So we do need to teach ourselves about the nature of these things, that they must grow old, get sick and die. And the mind can become peaceful due to this and be freed from its chaotic nature. We see that these bodies must meet with death. And that when death happens, then um, there isn't any happiness or any pleasure, any pain within the body anymore. The mind has left it already. But when the mind is still there within the body, then we'll take it as being me and mine, and take the things of this world as being me and mine, and it gets really stirred up by all these things. So therefore, if we've met with suffering in the past, or we're meeting with suffering here in the present moment, then we should find a path that will take us out of that suffering. Because that path that exists already, Nibbana exists already. It's just that there's this delusion there within the hearts. So we need to work to extract that delusion so that knowledge can arise. So when knowledge comes up, then this delusion disappears all by itself. Like how if there's a dark room, but we turn on the lights, then brightness appears and that darkness just disappears all by itself. But where does it go to? Well, it's actually still there. It's just it can't have an effect on anything because brightness is present. But if that brightness diminishes, then we'll see that the darkness, it grows. So what that shows us is that the darkness, it hasn't disappeared, it's still there. It's just that when brightness comes up, then it can't have any effect. And so it's the same when we gain knowledge. We can put it one way, saying that this knowledge destroys the kilesas, the defilements. Or another way we could put it is that these defilements are still there, but they can't affect us in any way. It's just greed, hatred, and delusion arising and ceasing. They're just these emotions, just sensations that come and go, just in constancy, stress, and not self there. So we should practice until we reach this point. Uh, but in the beginning, it's unlikely we'll be able to get there all of a sudden. So what we need to do is be patient and endure. Really apply our minds, really have this sincerity and carry on doing so. It's difficult, um, but we have this intention already, don't we? We have this desire to develop our minds. And if we don't follow up on that, then we won't be able to reach the Dhamma. And so we do need to take it that far so that we can reach the Dhamma in this very life. We can attain to the Dhamma. If we don't attain to the Dhamma, at least to see the Dhamma. Because the Dhamma is here already. Old age, sickness and death is already present. And we see that nowadays there are many people going through this, through old age, through sickness, through death. It's just that when the mind doesn't have samadhi, when mindfulness isn't well established, 
then wisdom can't arise. And so the Buddha, or during the time of the Buddha, uh, all it took for some people was to see uh, a flower withering. And they were able to perceive the Dharma just through that. All it took was for them to see an old person, and they could see into the Dhamma and reflect that I need to be like this as well. And sometimes um, that's all it takes for, all it took in those days, um, for a novice to, um, just a very small child to ordain as a novice. And uh, one of Venerable Sariputta's younger brothers was like this, that he had this great wisdom um, from youth. He had the wisdom to be able to see into the truth and to be able to fix all the suffering there in his heart. So we see that we already have other kinds of wisdom already, that this is um, very prevalent in the world. Wisdom in terms of speech, wisdom in terms of our actions, in terms of finding wealth. And uh, so many people have this already, this kind of mindfulness and this kind of wisdom. And it can help us in our jobs, help us in order to um, work and to be able to adapt to modern ways of work. So we see nowadays many things are turning online, that people work online and they um, sell things online and we're even spreading the Dhamma online. And these things they develop um, following the new technological advancements. But we should ask ourselves, do our kilesas go online as well? And if we use the internet, but we don't do so with quick mindfulness, um, then it's possible that we can create a lot of damage, that we can use our speech in ways that harm beings, that are speaking things that aren't good, and this gets spread all over the world. But we can also use wholesome speech as well, uh, that can also get spread all over the world. So if we have wisdom, then we'll be able to take these advancements and use them to spread goodness. So may all of you have endurance, may you have forbearance, may you be sincere. That now we've met with the best, the highest thing, that which is able to take us out of suffering. And so we should put that into practice and to really be sincere to not become disheartened, to not give in. And even though knowledge, it grows little by little, we should just carry on enduring, bring up our meditation words, trying to bring the mind to peace. Always bring up this sincerity, going against the emotions and the feelings that come up. Uh, because they can be really strong in the beginning, when we feel anger, this can really burn. The fear, the hate that can come up can be really intense. As greed, hatred, and delusion can come up really strong, attachments can cling really hard. And it's not easy. And uh, so we must endure with this. We must just try and carry on practicing. 
bringing the mind um, back to its meditation object. So when I first ordained, um, most of the monks used iron bowls, and there are only very few stainless steel bowls that were around. And in using an iron bowl, one had to be very cautious uh, around it, because if it got dented in any way, you'd have to fire it again, and this was a very um, arduous thing to do. And uh, they were very heavy, these iron bowls as well. And when we walked on arms rounds, um, if someone dropped a can of fish into the bowl, and it kind of made this banging sound, and the sound would kind of bang in our minds as well. And so it's the mind and the bowl were almost like the same thing. And if it was a big bowl, then it could be especially heavy. And some of them were 10 inches wide. And when we went on arms rounds, um, oftentimes they would get filled up with sticky rice. And they'd be extremely heavy at that point. And for myself, I was a very small figure, just weighed 45 kilograms. And so carrying one of these bowls was really difficult. And um, I had one of these iron bowls, and I really didn't like it, because it weighed so much. And sometimes I walked back to my kuti, and uh, as I was walking along, the bowl would bang into a tree. Uh, but I didn't really mind, because my mind didn't like this bowl. I thought it was too big. And what about the things that we like, though? We're afraid. We're afraid of breaking them. We're afraid that they'll get dented or damaged in any way. And uh, just like how monks, they can get robes that they really like, they think are very beautiful, and they dye them a very nice color. Uh, But when it rains and the water washes the dye away, uh, then that can bring up kind of a lot of fear in that monk, a lot of unwholesome emotions. And so really monks and laity are the same in this way, that lay people get a new car, and others come to admire that car, uh, but maybe it gets scratched, and then suffering arises. And so the wealth that we have, the gains that we receive, these can bring suffering, but also not having that wealth not having possessions, that's also a form of suffering. But having gained these things, we have to look after them as well. Looking after them is suffering. If they get lost, then that's also suffering. And now these things, they happen very quickly. That someone can have um, a lot of money, have many millions of dollars. But if they're not intelligent, then this can get lost in a very short space of time. So having gained wealth, we need to have intelligence to look after that wealth as well. We need to be careful around it. So all of us, we have this opportunity to practice together. So may all of you be sincere in this, to train, to not be heedless, for both the monks and the laity, to forbear, to endure. Because in order to get something good, um, if we don't endure, then we just won't be able to get there. Uh, That doesn't work. So we must bring up this patience, this forbearance to have effort. So may all of you practice in this way.